Welcome in everybody to the Action Network podcast. It is Friday, July 15th. And typically when we join you on Fridays with the Action Network podcast, that means it's a UFC betting preview. And that is the case, UFC Fight Night, Ortega v. Rodriguez. That is the main event. Our all-star crew covering UFC. Former professional fighter, Billy Ward, also our MMA analyst joining us. And Action Network senior writer, he is a jack-of-all-trades, Sean Zarillo. We join you every Friday to get you ready for the Saturday card. We've got 12 fights coming to you from UBS Arena in Elmont, New York. Ortega Rodriguez, the main event. By the way, uh, just as a quick aside, those of you that tune into the podcast uh, often, we certainly appreciate it. 600th Action Network episode, the Action Network podcast, 600th episode. So thanks so much for your loyalty and tuning in. Uh, to our shows, no matter what the sport is. So thanks for being here. Let's dive in. We've got plenty to get to on this card. We go main event. We'll talk underdog plays, the fight of the night, which the guys highlight another fight on the card. Props, a DFS breakdown from Billy. And then before we leave you, best bets. So, Billy, we will start with you. Ortega Rodriguez, featherweight main event. What's the play? Yeah, this is an interesting one. You know, both guys... Might be two fights away, but I could certainly see a case for either of them getting the next title shot with a win here, depending on how impressive they look. You know, Ortega's coming off a loss to Volkanovski. His only other loss is to Max Holloway. Rodriguez similarly lost to Max Holloway in his last fight, and his only loss prior to that in the UFC was five years ago against Frankie Edgar. So these are both guys who've beaten pretty much everyone at the lower level of the competition, and both have had a couple shots at the high end, but have failed in those. And to a degree, it's a striker versus grappler matchup where Rodriguez has a Taekwondo background, I believe, and is probably the better striker here. But both guys are good in both areas. You know, Ortega's known for pulling out submissions out of nowhere, almost caught Volkanovski with a guillotine. You know, regular listeners know my disdain for pulling guillotines at any point, but Ortega's got a good one and almost made it work. So it's interesting in that regard. But the way I'm seeing it, I see Rodriguez as fairly clearly the better striker. Ortega has good power, but he has a negative striking differential. His accuracy isn't great. His defense isn't great. Where Rodriguez lands more than he gets hit. You know, similarly good power, probably not quite as much one shot as Ortega, but can get you with flurries and stuff like that. Definitely better defense. So it really comes down to whether Ortega can get this one to the ground or not. And I have questions about that. He's got a 24% takedown accuracy in the UFC. A lot of his submissions have came when other people initiated the grappling. And we also have the big cage here. Even though this isn't a pay-per-view, they're using the 30-foot cage on Long Island. So with all that, I think Rodriguez, unless he comes in with a bad game plan, which we've seen him do in the past, and he initiates any of the grappling, I actually like him in the stand-up exchanges, and I think most of this is on the feet. So he's a slight underdog. You can get him about plus 145. If it goes to the judges and we've got a plus 40, 145 on one side of the card, I think that's the better ticket to be holding anytime we go to a decision because it's going to be fairly close, I think, if we make it there. And, you know, if you're interested in getting a little bit longer of a bet, his inside the distance is plus 380. I could see him putting Ortega away here. I don't think he has, like, the big, big power to make it likely against a guy that durable, but it's not out of the question over five rounds. So, yeah, Rodriguez plus 145, straight money line, Ortega at minus 170. Let's go to Sean Zarillo. You're on the opposite side of this one, Sean. And, and just to kind of bring up something Billy said, the takedown accuracy for Rodriguez is slightly higher than Ortega's. I'd be pretty shocked if Rodriguez tries to take down Brian Ortega because the last place he wants to be 
is on the ground with him. Hmm. One thing Billy didn't mention, which wouldn't require Brian Ortega to wrestle, is the fact that Yair Rodriguez is a very reckless striker, tends to overextend on strikes in all of his matchups, and ends up slipping and falling and ending up on his back on accident basically two or three times a fight. So if that does happen, Ortega won't even need to take down. He'll likely look to pounce from there. Certainly, V. Rodriguez is the better striker. I think Ortega's striking has leveled up, though. Two of his past three losses came against the champion and the former champion. He got beat up in both of those fights, but he had a fight with Korean Zombie in between those two bouts, and his striking looked improved. His wrestling looked improved. It was probably the most complete effort of his career because by and large throughout his career, he is losing rounds, losing minutes, and then he manages to finish his fight. Started off his UFC career with seven consecutive finishes. One of those was overturned for, I believe, drug usage, but it wasn't a performance-enhancing drug. I think he'd smoked marijuana or something stupid, and it basically should still be a submission on his record. So seven consecutive finishes, essentially, to start his UFC run. Tends to be behind and then manages to pull off a submission, but doesn't always need the takedown either. Pulled off a standing guillotine against Cub Swanson. He's a very creative grappler. Manages to find one or two moments in his fights where he puts his opponent in danger. And even said, despite the fact that I don't really love his wrestling, he's landed takedowns, seven takedowns in his past three fights. Took Volkanovski down twice. Took Max Holloway down. Took Korean Zombie down three times. So he's gotten takedowns against all these high-level opponents. I think he should be able to get takedowns here if he wants them against Yair Rodriguez because Yair has definitely been manhandled in the grappling in the past. Gave up his back to Max Holloway, was taken down multiple times, lost a round of control time to Holloway, who is definitely more of a boxer. Ortega's grappling much more high level. So as Billy said, if this goes to a decision, I do expect it to be close. I probably wouldn't want the Ortega money line at minus 165, minus 170. If it's going to go the full 25 minutes, I basically make their decision props about equal. Considering I still make Ortega a favorite, that basically means I give more decision equity to Yair, and it's a 50-50 toss-up if it goes to the scorecards. But Ortega is a finisher. I'll go back to that. He manages to finish his fights. Give him 25 minutes in there. He should have one or two moments where he's able to get close to finishing the fight, if not pull it off. Considering the differential in the grappling, the fact that I think the striking is a bit closer, then it may appear based off of Ortega's last performances. Ortega's submission line at around plus 230 at FanDuel. Projected that line closer to plus 180 and is inside the distance odds at plus 150. I projected that number closer to plus 115. Make a finish about 70% of his win condition. Like Ortega's finish props, lean to the fight to end inside the distance in general, but I'd prefer his finish props instead of laying minus 140 on the fight to end by finish. It's fair to bring up Ortega's takedowns and compare them to Rodriguez when you take the Holloway fight out of it. Previous five fights, no takedowns for Rodriguez. So two different styles that clash in the main event on Long Island this weekend. Let's go to our favorite underdog plays. We're always looking for that value. Shop those lines. Billy, we'll start with you, your favorite dog. Yeah, I'm looking at the opening main card bout between Lauren Murphy and Misha Tate. And this is one I just, I kind of don't get why Tate's even favored to begin with. You know, she had almost five years off of competition, comes back, beats a fighter who's now 9-8-1 and one as a pro. Great, but that doesn't really count for much. And then gets kind of manhandled by Ketlin Vieira in the next fight. Now she's dropping down to 125. You know, I really don't like older fighters. She's 35, dropping down a weight class. Sometimes I think it's, It's kind of like a last-ditch effort. Like, I'm not going to make it at this one, so rather than get better, I'm going to try to move to a weight class where I might be the bigger, stronger fighter. 
And Murphy's good. You know, she's a little bit older at 38, but she was on a five-fight winning streak before she lost to Shevchenko, which, like, you know, Shevchenko would destroy Misha Tate as well. So I don't think we really hold that one against her. And you can get her about plus 180. So that seems like a pretty easy one for me, just given the layoff. You know, they're both older, but Murphy's obviously been way more active in recent years. And I'm just not impressed by, you know, the 2022 version of Misha Tate until I'm proven wrong. How about you, Zerillo? Underdog play. Ricky Simone around plus 140 against Jack Shore, American wrestler versus European grappler. I think Shore is actually a pretty good prospect. Not the most athletic guy, though. And I think Simone is the better wrestler. Shore probably the better technical striker. Simone striking has definitely leveled up over the years. But this guy averages over 13 takedowns per 15 minutes of fight time, lands more than half of them. Very high volume wrestler, very adept wrestler. I think he's going to be able to take Shore down here. I would expect the striking to be relatively competitive. Ultimately, I see a fight that should play out as basically a coin flip, and you're getting the hometown judges for the American side of that fact at plus money. So basically, a fight that should play out as a coin flip, taking the plus 140 on the guy I view as the superior wrestler. The fight of the night this week for Billy and Sean. If you scroll down in the main card, we've got Shane Burgos and Charles Jordan. Been practicing that all morning. Uh, Jordan v. Burgos. Billy's laughing. Billy, uh, what's the angle on this fight? No, I just I appreciate the effort you're putting into some of these foreign pronunciations because you did really well on or- on Ortega, and I'm not even going to try to roll the R on anything like that. But uh, no, it's well, just I, I this had is to, a fight. I had I'm, to bounce back because last week was not great. Last week was just a was, was tough, so I you know had to respond. You know. <laughs> Yeah, um, this is a fight I'm certainly way more interested in watching than betting. You know, the line feels about right. These are just really exciting, like, high-action guys. Both have power. Both can wrestle a little bit. You know, I think it's going to be mostly a stand-up fight, but just the combined striking output between these two should be insane. I'm seeing 76 attempts per round out of Burgos and 59 out of Jordan. For some context on that, it's usually about low 40s attempted per round. So, collectively, they're hitting almost double what we're going to see in terms of total strikes. And yeah, both guys have been good. They're both kind of on the outside of the top 15. I think with something like this, where I expect some back and forth stand up, more or less similar power outputs, that would normally push me towards the underdog, which would be Jordan in here. I do think Burgos is the better fighter and should be favored. So, you know, if that line moves a little bit more as it's moved throughout the week towards Burgos, who's now about minus 170, if I can get him at about minus 150 or so, I'll probably lay that side. But for now, I'm laying off or waiting to see if I can get a better line on either end. What are your thoughts on this one, uh, Zerillo? I like the Burgos side of the money line. I actually think he's better everywhere. He's the bigger guy, six-inch reach advantage, two inches taller. He's a big featherweight. Jordana on the smaller side of the 145-pound division. He's also faced the much better competition, Shane Burgos. He's been competitive with the top contenders in the division, Calvin Cater, Edson Barbosa, Josh Emmett. Been in close fights with all of them. Did get finished a couple times. But this is a step up in competition for Jordan. This is the most difficult test of his career. Burgos has already been in there with better guys, in my opinion. And if anything, this is actually a step down in competition for him. I'd favor him in a kickboxing match over the course of 15 minutes. Hits harder, longer, more output. So definitely has clear advantages there, in my opinion. He's going to work the body too, which Jordan hasn't necessarily liked in the past. Going to kick the leg as well. But if he decides to grapple, I think Burgos has an advantage there too. He tends to get underlooked for his grappling because he is 
a guy who tends to brawl, get in high action, fight of the night type bouts. But when he decides to use the cage push on people, when his fights hit the mat, he's a very adept grappler as well. He actually came into MMA as a grappler first and his striking just got much better over time and probably overtook his grappling. But really like Burgos pretty much everywhere in this fight in terms of being the better fighter. And he also has the physical advantages as well. So basically see advantages for him across the board, fine laying his money line at minus 165. And if the DFS salaries are any indication, Burgos is 9,000, Jordan is 7,200. We'll get to DFS uh, in just a few minutes, but that's that's any indication that kind of shows the uh, the distance between the two in terms of their, uh, their ability or who might win the fight. Let's move on to favorite props. Billy, where are you looking? Yeah, I'm looking at the co-main event between Amanda Lamos and Michelle Watterson. You know, for people who don't know the backstory, Watterson was out for a little over a year. No one's ever really came out and said what her injury was, but she allegedly had some kind of career-threatening injury, thought about retiring, all that kind of stuff. But she's back, and she's fighting Amanda Lamos. They both have real similar striking styles where they like to sit on the outside and snipe. Neither throws at a ton of volume. But Lamos just has crazy power for a female fighter. Her knockdown rate is basically the same as like Li Jingling and Muslim Salikov who are fighting before them. She has almost as many knockdowns per minute as those two combined, which is just insane for, you know, 125 pound or 115 pound female fight. And Watterson's kind of hittable. She's going to sit on the outside against a fighter who's an inch taller and with three inches more in reach. I think Lamos is going to pick her off. So I'm not going to lay the minus 325 on the Lamos money line. But you can get her inside the distance at plus 200. Her knockout odds just on their own are plus 225. But, you know, I'll, I'll take a little bit worse value just in case there's a club and sub situation or something like that where she gets the tap. And that just seems way too long to me. I think this one is pretty likely to end inside the distance. I think Lamos is, you know, a huge level above her and just physically stronger. And the power differential is just insane. So I think she'll be able to put her away. Don't like a fighter coming off from a year-long break with a possibly career-threatening injury as well. Okay, we'll go to Sean Zarillo, and he did mention earlier in the show uh, he's into some Ortega props as well. So if you want to scroll back and uh, tune into that, if you mentioned that at the end there, Zarillo, but uh, what else you got for us? Yeah, I love those Ortega finished props as opposed to his money line, but my favorite fight from a prop perspective is the matchup between Sumiderji and Matt Schnell. It is a flyweight bout, flyweight one of my favorite divisions because the speed is so extreme at 125. I like the under two and a half rounds here at minus 140, the fight to end inside the distance at minus 160. You could play, but if this is going to finish, I expect it to finish probably on the earlier end. Would rather have the under two and a half than the under one and a half at plus money, though. This could play out as a very binary matchup. Suman Energy longer, the better striker, and Matt Schnell has definitely shown some durability concerns in the past. When you hit him clean, you can certainly hurt him. But Maderji has been submitted in all of his losses. And if Schnell is able to get this fight to the ground, make it dirty, turn this into a grappling match, I think he could certainly find a finish via submission here, in addition to having some finishing upside on the feet as well because he hits pretty hard for 125. But the easiest path to victory for Schnell is to likely look to grapple. Like his submission prop at plus 800, I think that's definitely going to be a dart throw for me because I've made that line closer to plus 500. But as a bet for the fight, I definitely prefer the under two and a half rounds or the fight to end inside the distance around minus 140 and minus 160, respectively. Moving on to the daily fantasy landscape for UFC Fight Night, Ortega v. Rodriguez. Again, it's at US UBS Arena uh, in Elmont on Long Island in New York. Billy, um, 
what do you have for us? Like, what's what's the what's the lean here? What's the strategy lean to try? And of course, I mean, you know, we give strategy, and the, the key to the whole thing is, as we as we say all the time, you got to have some differentiation and try to be different. How do you be different? Yeah, unfortunately, it's another twelve fight card. The last yep. couple, we've I've thought we were going to get more, but then something happens or somebody gets dropped. So you know, as you're mentioning, it's another one where trying to stay differentiated and not have a duplicate lineup is going to be a big priority. Mm-hmm. You know, with stuff like this, I'm to the point where I just want to play smaller contests rather than trying to make these weird lineups to get out of it. Yeah. But this one's tough. You know, I always say that we want to leave some salary on the table as a way to do that. But all of these expensive fighters are looking pretty good. You know, I mentioned Lemos is inside the distance. I generally don't like rostering smaller female fighters when they're the most expensive one on the slate, but she has enough power that that one's going to be hard for me to avoid. You know, Punaheli Soriano at 9,200. That's the fight that has the best odds to end inside the distance. He's got big power. Both of the guys in that fight like to trade. You know, Dolce is very hittable. So that's another one. When I want both these expensive fighters, it's hard to avoid getting close to the max of the salary cap. But yeah, you know, just the one strategy thing I want to hit on is a general rule when we're looking at favorites and especially for GPPs, we want fights that are likely to end inside the distance because we need those stoppage points from the more expensive favorites. And we're looking at underdogs. That's why I'm looking at fights that are a little bit less likely to end inside the distance because with those just, they can usually get enough points just by going the whole way to pay off, especially for cash, but even in a GPP decision, win, those are the kind of underdogs we're looking at. So for those, you know, Sean mentioned the Ricky Simone versus Jack Shore fight. Simone's only 7,800. That's one where even if he doesn't get a win, there should be so many takedowns between the two of them that there's a lot of points out there. And then I mentioned Lauren Murphy already at 7,400. That's a fight that almost definitely goes to a decision. She should have enough striking volume in there to get some points, even in a loss. And we like, you know, we like both of those fighters as live dogs. So those are the cheaper fighters I'm looking at this week, more for cash games and Murphy's case. And then Simone, I think is a tremendous GPP play. Care to weigh in Zerillo and how you might want to help the people make a lineup this week? So Herbert Burns at around 7,500, I think most of his path to victory is around one finish. He's a guy who tends to fall off a cliff usually after the first round, which is why I looked to live bet Bill Aljo. After round one, it probably a better number than you'll get pre-fight, but at 7,500 in terms of DSS salary and given his expected win condition, if Burns wins, he's probably going to be in the optimal lineup. So in addition to guys like Matt Schnell at 7,100, who I think can find a submission, Lauren Murphy, as Billy mentioned, I think those are solid dogs. Even Yair Rodriguez at around 7,700, even in a loss, he should put up enough volume over the course of five rounds, probably to end up being in that optimal lineup or just end up winning. I could see him getting finished though, which is why I bet the Ortega side and why I wouldn't use him heavily in cash game lineups. But if you're looking at tournaments, I think Garrier might be a solid play. So definitely like amongst that group, Herbert Burns at 7,500 would prefer him in a DFS format as opposed to betting. To give the people at home some intel on the Action Network podcast, typically uh, Billy and Sean will send out their their picks uh, the night before, before we record. And, you know, a lot of different picks on the board. But here, here we are at Best Bets, and we've arrived. You're both on the same Best Bet this week. Billy, why don't you tell the people what it is, and then Sean can add to it. I had no idea. I actually didn't get the email from Sean this week. So I, I was waiting in suspense as you set this one up. Oh, <laughs> but uh, yeah. So apparently we're both on Li Jing Lang. He's fighting Muslim Salikov. The way I see it, they're both fairly similar fighters stylistically. 
you know, they both have a Sonda background, which for those who don't know, it's it's basically MMA without the groundwork once it gets to the ground, but you're still allowed to do trips and throws and takedowns and stuff like that. Both have fairly good striking volume, fairly good power. For me, to a degree, it's an age play. You know, Salikov is 38, hasn't fought in over a year. The fighter he fought then was like 42 at the time. So he really hasn't, it's been almost two years since he's fought a still in their prime fighter. And Xing Lang has lost two of his last three, but he was sacrificed to Kamzat, which can't hold that against anyone. And then he lost a close decision to Neil Magny. Outside of that, he's been really, really good. Huge power. You know, both guys are going to kind of look for that one shot. So getting him at plus money, I can still see plus 144 at FanDuel right now. I think that's a pretty good value. All right, Sean, why are you on this pick as well? Yeah, and Shane Burgos would be my other favorite bet on this card. I was going to put the leech under my favorite underdog, but really he is the largest projected edge that I have for any money line on this slate. I think this fight is basically a coin flip at worst for him. He checks so many boxes, but particularly with a plus number next to his name, better volume, face the better competition. He's younger, he's longer, he's taller. He hits just as hard. This is going to be a competitive fight at minimum or one of them is going to get finished, but I would make their finishing upside relatively equal. So I'm always going to be willing to roll with plus money from that standpoint, considering he checks almost every single box to not only make this fight competitive, but even to have potential advantages here. Maybe Solikov is able to grapple him, take him down. It's not the type of fighter he is, and he doesn't have the best gas tank either. So that actually, if he does try to grapple and doesn't have a success with it, it's just going to end up adding to Leach's side of the equation. So Lee Jung Lang, about plus 140, plus 145. Absolutely a bet for me. Like it down to about plus 110. Excellent. Great work as always. MMA analyst at, at the Action Network, Billy Ward. Action Network senior writer, Sean Zarillo. That is going to do it for this week's UFC betting preview. We will join you again next Friday. We'll get you set for UFC fight night that's taking place in London next week. So looking forward to that, and we will uh, we will join you then. I'm your host, Brendan Glasheen. Again, thanks to all of you tuning into the Action Network podcast, episode 600 in the books after today. Good luck this weekend. Have a great weekend, everybody, and we'll join you next time.